Welcome to the Mental Health Business Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margot Jaco. Are you a clinician looking to find the balance between providing compassionate client care and business agility? This show will help with things you need to know to start or grow your practice and better serve your clients. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, this is Dr. Margot Jaco. On today's episode, we will be discussing how to find and hire the right people for your small business. Today, I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Chris Pertel, our outreach coordinator at the Juniper Center. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Margot? I'm good. Thank you. So I am so excited to have you. I'm always excited to have you on these conversations. This one, this is, I think hiring people is really tricky. And this is something where you have some expertise. So I'm really glad. And I want us to, you know, both be able to pitch in for the folks who are listening with our experience, because you come from a very business oriented background, and I come from this behavioral health background. So maybe between the two of us, we can shed some light on this subject matter. So, you know, I think this is an important conversation to be having for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, in any business, the people that we hire make or break the organization. So this is critical. And I'll tell you, I feel like I've always had kind of a gut sense. We were talking about this earlier. I've always had a gut sense about how to hire therapists. And here's the nice thing about this podcast. It forces me to step back and operationalize and really think through what's happening. Because I might think it's just my gut, but there actually is a whole process that I'm doing internally that it's just, it's something that I'm familiar with. So it feels like, oh, I just go on my gut. But actually there is a process that I'm following. With people who are non-clinical, it's a whole nother kettle of fish. It's a whole nother situation, a whole nother story. So I would love to hear your perspective about this too, Chris, because I think your experience is more in that non-clinical place, obviously. It's definitely in the non-clinical space. And when you're looking at hiring, I mean, my experience has been more in the professional business consultants or in the finance and accounting arena. And hiring consultants who were going to be out at clients on a day-to-day basis is probably a similar process to what you experience in when you're going through the process hiring therapists. You're talking from you know a background that you are intimately familiar about. And so following your gut, I think, is a lot easier right. in those situations. But your point about the admin, you know, the support staff, and that can be a very different kind of hire and a, a very... I guess a little more challenging to follow your gut because you may not have expertise in the areas where they are experts and what you are looking for. Exactly. I I have, it's like all of a sudden I have no gut. So I I think your, your point is well taken. And in a behavioral health practice, certainly at some point we might need someone to do billing or outreach or some other virtual administrative work or onsite administrative work. We might need somebody to do credentialing, to answer phones, somebody just to help with the day-to-day tasks. There are lots of other kinds of tasks that need to be done in a group practice that are not clinical. So having somebody that knows what they're doing is really important. So I, I think it would be useful for us to talk about how do we find those right people. If we start out talking for a minute about the more of the administrative 
staff, you know, your back office, one of the key questions is where do I find those people? And I have found a good place to start tends to be with the job boards, you know, the free sites to see if you get the qualified candidates. I don't know from your experience, Margaret, what have you found with that? I'll tell you, we have had some really good success. I found you on Indeed. Yes. Right. So I've had some good success at times. But you know what? There's a learning curve I have discovered about how to use Indeed. So this is what's been helpful for me. And and you and I have worked on this together, Chris. So I I have Mm -hmm. to thank you for this. Um, There are on Indeed. If So now when I want to post a job, having a really good job description is critical. So that's a good place to start where I'm really putting out the expectations. That's number one. Number two, I want to make sure that we're using those screener questions. It's part of what I like about a job board like Indeed is that there are screener questions. If I want a biller, when I'm using screener questions, what I'm looking for is someone who is highly proficient or expert, right? I don't want somebody necessarily who's just proficient. That's sort of average. And that's just for me, that's not where I am. It's not really what I'm looking for. So I think you want to make sure that you use those boards as robustly as you can, because you can get a lot of information from people. So that would be my suggestion is when you're putting up a job description, make sure it's a really good job description and be clear about what you're looking for in terms of those screener questions. I couldn't agree more. And some of these too, you could get, you know, a couple hundred applicants for a position and using those screener questions becomes really one of the only effective ways so you're not, you know, now paralysis by analysis. Exactly. And so using those can be extremely effective, I would agree. Yeah. Now, all that being said, I think the job sites, the job boards are a great place to start because we don't always have the network to be able to find folks. I will tell you, with the exception of you, every other person that I have hired who I I feel has been successful with us, that's an administrative staff, was a personal recommendation. Everybody else. So um, our our office manager, our credentialing person, our intake person, um, our, we have another admin, they were all people who were personal referrals from people that I knew. And I was able to tell them what I thought we needed. They knew a little bit about me. Um, and then they were able to send the right people our way. So I, I think there's something to be said for making sure if you have that network that you just let people know. You can put something out on Facebook or on LinkedIn. You can just let people know, hey, those of you who know me and know our business, know our practice, please, if you know anyone, send them our way. This is what we're looking for. Please be sure to tell them what you're looking for because you'll get their Aunt Mary, who's a dog walker, who's unemployed right now because of COVID, who's never processed a billing claim in their life. Um, And people are very well intended, but you have to be kind of specific about what you're looking for. So, you know, I think networking, you mentioned that earlier, networking can be really important in hiring the right people. Yeah, I would agree. Networking is so important and it helps to better ensure that you get somebody with the right cultural fit. Yeah. Can you say a little bit about cultural fit? Because culture is super important to me. And I'll say a bit about that in a minute. But I, I would love to hear your perspective on culture. 
From the way I think of it, when I'm looking to hire somebody, the first question I ask, and this is all about kind of gearing the interview as well, I think. One of the first questions I want to know, okay, number one, can they do the job? Yeah. And then number two, are they going to be a cultural fit with the organization? And you know, basically, do I want to work with this person? And is this somebody who's going to fit in? Is this somebody who has the same values that our organization has? And I think that is equally as important as the first one of can they do the job? Yeah, I boy, I would so agree. That cultural fit is imperative. And then the thing I would add to that at the end is, are they somebody who can think on their feet? And are they going to be someone who can try to solve a problem or try to, you know, not somebody who's just maybe studied the interview questions they think you're going to be asking, but are they somebody, if you throw them a curveball, can they answer a question that may not have a right or wrong answer? But what has your experience been during the interviews themselves, the questions you ask and that process? With therapists, this is where I begin. And since our audience is predominantly therapists, I'm going to speak to that because my guess is most of the people that our audience is going to be hiring will be other therapists. And this might be people who have had other therapists in their organization before, or they're doing this for the first time. So the first question that I ask people And I do this on the phone. So if I'm looking for a therapist and I get someone's resume, I'll look at it and make sure that they have what we need. So for example, right now we're hiring someone who has an LCSW or a a doctoral degree because we need somebody who can accept Medicare assignment. We're looking for someone who can do couples work and or addictions work. So I know that's what I'm looking for. That's the starter. That's what our need is right now. And the first thing I ask people is, what is it that you're looking for? And I will tell you that throws people every time. And I don't mean that to be a curveball, but they're expecting, nobody seems to expect that. And they'll say, huh, nobody's asked me that before. I want to know what they're looking for. That tells me in the very first screening phone call, are we looking for the same thing? First of all, can they answer that question? Do they know what they're looking for? Then they can tell me a little bit about, well, you know, I'm looking for part-time or I'm looking for full-time. I want to work with kids. I only want to work with kids. I don't want to work with adults. I only want to work with these insurance companies. I don't want to work with those insurance companies. And it's not like somebody has to have, again, a perfect answer. But I really want to hear that tells me so much if I can hear what they want. And then I can say, well, let me tell you a little bit about what we're looking for. And then I explained to them, we are uh, this size practice, we have a need in these locations, we're needing someone who can fill in these gaps, Um, we have these kinds of teams on our practice, and, you know, our practice is really invested in the culture, so is that something that they might be willing to participate in, able to participate in? We like to have people in our practice who are interested in being a part of a team. That's what we're looking for. So I start by asking them what they're looking for. That tells me a ton of information. And I know right away with that question whether or not we should continue on with, should I even tell them the next piece? First of all, I can vouch that was your first question when we talked as well. (laughs) Yeah, right. 
And and secondly, it's it's nice in the sense of you get their idea, and so they can't mold an answer based on what you're looking for. Right. Exactly. It it does help me get from the get go a sense of who they are and what they're looking for without them trying to second guess me. So that was really, really critical. So that would be the first thing that I would ask. And I would ask that of somebody non-clinical as well. But because that's not my skill set, you know, admin is not my skill set. It's a good question to have, but I think I need to be clear about what else I'm looking for. So you know, certainly we assess for cultural fit. I can tell pretty quickly who is going to do well in our organization. Now we're at the size where I am not necessarily hiring people anymore who are very much like me, which right in the beginning, I think many of us do. We hire people who are, who think like we do and who strategize like we do and who speak like we do. And there are times now where I am intentionally looking for someone who is other than me. What do you mean by when you say other than me? Can you just expand on that? Sure. So I know that I am someone who is very quick. I like innovation. I like creativity. I like spontaneity. I like lots of ideas. I like to talk about those ideas. Sometimes we need people who are very slow, who are very interested in process, who are interested in going step by step by step in decision making, which feels tedious to me, quite frankly. So we need a lot of different kinds of people within the organization. So when I hired an assistant director, I hired Ari Groner from within. She's very different than I am in that way. So she totally challenges me in those exact ways. And I think we balance each other out. So I would really encourage people when they're hiring to think through not just clinically, I need a a therapist who can see couples because we get a lot of couples referrals, but how are they going to complement what's happening in the organization or challenge the organization to grow and to think differently? Okay. That sounds so incredibly valuable because number one, you get yourself a thought partner in that sense of someone, you know, like an Ari you mentioned, who you can learn from each other and how she can be a partner with you to help grow and do the things that you want to do with the practice. But you still need the people that are out there, you know, they want to do the therapy work. They want to do the therapy work. And I need different kinds of therapists. So, you know, Chris, we were talking about if hiring someone off of Indeed that I might want to use some screener questions. I was speaking with someone who runs a human resources company. Small businesses can outsource their human resource needs to this company. And they were telling me about something called the Colby Index. First of all, I have to say I felt a little bit vindicated because I said, I am having a hard time successfully hiring good admin people. And she said, oh, yeah, that's just really hard. And I thought, okay, good. If a, an HR company is having a hard time finding good admin people, I can cut myself some slack. But she said, there is something called the Colby Index. It's K-O-L-B-E. Maybe we can put that in our resources for the listeners. Absolutely. I'll put it out on the resource guide. Wonderful. The Colby Index gives us, it's a validated instrument that helps predict 
how you get things done. What is your style for getting things done? And there is a version that you as the employer can take. And then there's a version that you can give to prospective employees. And what they'll do is it will match up. Is this somebody who given your style, there's no right or wrong answers, but what will it be like to have somebody in the organization with your style also with this person's style? Does this person have what you are looking for? So it's just another way to sort of double check. Is this the kind of person that you're needing? Is this the kind of person who's going to get things done in the way that you need to? So for example, if Ari was the practice owner, she might need somebody who is a little more freewheeling and creative, right? And But she wouldn't necessarily know that in an interview. So doing something like a Colby index might be a way for people to get some more information. Okay. I think that's some great advice. Is it a screening tool that you would send to prospective employees? Yeah, it's a screening tool. I took it. Um, it was, I think, $55, which can sound like a lot of money. Like, oh my gosh, do I want to spend that on somebody I might not hire? It is a good investment because you're getting so much more information than you can that you can acquire in just a face-to-face or an interview with somebody, a conversation. And that's much less expensive than the alternative of hiring the wrong person. Right. Which I have to say, clinically, I I think I probably did that once or twice over 16, 17 years. We've had uh, two or three people from an administrative perspective that probably weren't a great fit. So I'm hoping that this is going to help us not go through that because onboarding, as we know, is expensive. So if we can be more precise, it would be probably beneficial for everybody, including the employee, because they don't always know exactly what we're looking for. So it just saves everybody time and aggravation. Sure. The other thing is you really need to have a checklist for people, an onboarding checklist of things that they are responsible for and things that you as the employer will be responsible for. Because onboarding, believe it or not, is just such a really complicated process. We have to get them paneled. We have to make sure they have a CAQH number. They have to have an NPI number. We need to help them know how to do those things. So having a checklist that is, here are the things I will cover, that I will be responsible for. Here are the things you are responsible for. It makes the process very uniform and it makes it very easy. So Chris, you know, one of the things that I make sure that I do is uh, mine is not the only voice that's heard and I'm not the only one that I want someone to meet with. I make sure that when we have somebody that I think is a good candidate, I do an initial interview. I have them meet with someone else on the team, perhaps Ari or somebody else in an administrative position. I make sure that one of our other therapists, at least one other therapist meets with them. And then we all compare notes. I will just hand them over and say, this is someone I'm considering. I want your honest feedback. And I encourage people who are on our team who are meeting with the candidates to please be very honest and answer all questions very honestly from the prospective hire, because I want everybody to know as much as they can on the front end. What about, have you had any success or have you done any hiring where you start with somebody part-time and then evolve more into the full-time role? For sure. Yes. So these are a couple of things that I would suggest. We have employment agreements with everyone. 
And part of that agreement says that within the first 30, 60, 90 days, anybody can decide at any time that this isn't working. We prefer that there be notice given. We will give notice. We prefer that they give us notice, but no blood, no foul. They, if it's not the right fit, we want to know early on. So we have that in our agreement so that people are really aware. And I have that conversation with folks. Guess what? We are going to make sure that this is a good fit for you and for us. So yes, I like to start people part-time almost always. I start people part-time and I let them know that there can be the growth opportunities if they so desire. That gives us an opportunity to check each other out, to see if our organization is a good fit for them. They're a good fit for our organization. So for sure, I would highly recommend starting part-time. Now, it is trickier to find the people you want when you're starting part-time. A lot of folks are looking for full-time work with benefits. And so that has to be in your ad. Be very upfront about how many hours a week you're looking for, what the expectations are, if there's growth opportunity, what might that look like? I, in my past, have had success doing that as well, starting part-time, moving to full-time. But it, it can be a challenge as well. But it, it, it's paid off. It paid off, right? And that's, re- you know what, that's really what we're looking for is what is going to set everyone up for success. Lastly today, let me ask you to kind of tie things up. Anything now that we've, for the past nine months or so, we've all been living in our remote worlds for the most part any changes to your hiring since people have been for the most part virtual yes there is a need for me to do video interviews with prospective hires especially therapists because i need to see how they relate to the camera who knew Right? Therapists relate to a camera and a computer very differently than they relate to me when I'm sitting in the room. So I have needed to do what feels a little bit like an audition, like a visual audition. And we are going to have now a whole crew of folks who will just stay virtual in perpetuity. I need to know how they're going to perform in a virtual environment. Are they warm? Are they still engaging? Do I feel connected to them on a screen? So that is imperative. And also for me to be able to speak with them about what it's like to work virtually. It's very different as a therapist. So I'm, I've had those conversations with people. I've had to coach some folks. When I've been in meetings with them, I'll watch them. They might have their head in their hands or they're sitting and looking away from the camera. You really can't do that when you're doing therapy. So we've had to have some conversations about how to relate to the other person in a virtual environment. Who would have thought you'd ever been doing that, right? Who would have thought? Right, exactly. Who would have thought? Margaret, one thing that you you mentioned at the beginning was you have had very good success following your gut when hiring clinicians, you know, especially. But any other suggestions you have? Other than your gut? As- right, other than my gut. So here are a couple of things that I would think about. One of them is I look up people's licenses. I want to do a license lookup. You can do that on the Secretary of State website. We can put that in our notes at the end of the... I'll, I'll add it to the resource guide. 
Great. Yeah, we'll put it in the resource guide. Thank you, Chris. So definitely look up their license. If somebody has any kind of sanctions, boy, you want to know that on the front end. I also will ask to speak to another therapist who knows them. Because not everyone who comes to work in a practice has worked at an agency before or a hospital or someplace else where I can check references. And quite frankly, when we check references these days, legally, much of what you'll get if you do check a reference is somebody will say, yes, they worked here for us. They can't really disclose any information like watch out, don't do it, don't go there or yay, best person ever. They're more likely to do that. But you know, I can be listening in and thinking I'm trying to get intonation. I don't really want that kind of guesswork. So I want to ask to speak to another therapist or two who knows them and can tell me about their clinical work. That I have found to be really helpful. I would also make sure that I go online and Google them, quite frankly. I want to see what is on their Facebook what sorts of images are they posting? Which again, that can sound so intrusive, but I tell people on the front end, this is what I'm going to do. I don't just pop on and start trolling them. I'll look at their LinkedIn network. I'll look at any other social media I can find, quite frankly. We did have somebody who started working with us. I hadn't done this, gone back and look at their social media. We referred a teenager to this person, to this therapist. So the parent said, do you know what kind of person you're referring my child to? And I was really taken aback and, and kind of felt defensive of this person because we st they still work with us and they're lovely and wonderful. But they had some things historically on their Facebook page that was really inappropriate for a teenager to be able to look up and see. Now, does that make them a bad therapist? Absolutely not. However, I need to be able to say to people, look, if you're going to have a Facebook page, make it private. These are things people don't think about. If you are on LinkedIn or you have Snapchat or you have anything else, please, or Instagram, please make sure that you make your personal stuff personal. Because if I can find it and there's an issue, a parent could find it, a prospective client can find it. We really have to be mindful of that. So I would say definitely Google them. Definitely see what they have put out on social media, because if I can look it up, another client, a parent can look it up, anybody can look it up. And we just want to make sure that that information is appropriately available or, or not available to people who really don't need to see it. I think that's such valuable advice that helps you get a good feel for who the person is as well. You know, it's not all searching for the negatives. It can help you kind of assess the cultural fit from my perspective some ways, too. Exactly. And I'll tell you, there are people who will do drug screens in addition for therapists or for admins. I, that's not something that we do, but I do ask people about their drug and alcohol use. Mm -hmm. Again, I, you know, I, I do it as part of a screening question. I let them know about our culture. Um, it's, you know, I'm not looking to disqualify people. Again, it's, is there a way that this could become problematic? Of course, is the first thing. But the second thing is, do you have pictures of yourself out there, of you at parties, of you, you know, holding up a glass of wine? Are you okay with the client seeing that? Um, or if somebody is in recovery, perhaps they've told me that. How much do they want their clients to be able to find out about that? Is that appropriate or not? So again, it's, it, you know, these are things that people don't always have to think about. 
when hiring somebody who's non-clinical, but when we're hiring for a clinical purpose, there are these extra pieces that we just want to make sure that we make the, the perspective higher aware of and that we're aware of as well. It can help to ensure that you're on the same page and that you're successful working together down the road. Right. Well, and I'll tell you, Chris, I started asking more about people's drug and alcohol use because I had hired a guy who I thought was really going to be good. He seemed like a really good therapist. He happened to be attending one of our staff meetings one day, and we were talking about drug and alcohol use and some of the problematic things that can come up in a practice as a result of that. And he quit, like abruptly quit. And I was shocked. I thought, well, what happened? And he said, well, you know, I I just decided maybe I'll work on my own. Well, I talked to another colleague later and come to find out he had left because he was worried that I was going to find out that he smoked a lot of pot. So I thought, well, why don't I ask on the front end and then we'll just know what we're dealing with. Exactly. Right. It's always better to know, have your eyes wide open. Always better to have your eyes wide open. And if you are hiring, I highly recommend that you look at the labor laws in Illinois. Therapists don't necessarily think about that. We need to be aware because we are employers. We need to be aware of the labor laws and some of the tax implications. Make sure you're talking to your accountant. Make sure you have gone over what is legally required of you. Make sure you understand things like the difference between an independent contractor and an employee. What does that entail? What, do, what are your responsibilities as an employer? That's imperative because one of the biggest reasons that employers get in trouble is that they weren't aware of the law. So I highly recommend that you educate yourself on that. Some things that I think are sort of key points for people to take away from today. Make sure that you are really clear in your screening about what you're looking for. Use your network, use job boards, use screener questions. Make sure that you're clear, very clear about what you're needing, what your culture needs, and how is this person going to fit in, to your point. Make sure you're aware of some of the legal aspects of hiring and that you're within compliance and make sure that you can trust that this person is going to go out and represent you well in the world. Do you have any final thoughts, Chris? No, I think that is a perfect way to sum it up. And the only thing I would add would be that make sure that you focus on any curveballs that a COVID has thrown your way so that you can effectively continue to operate in an environment that may be different than you were used to in the past. Yeah, that is such a good point. It Hiring every, you know, we know everything is different, including hiring, including doing therapy. Virtual therapy is not like in-office therapy. So I'm glad you reminded everyone of that too. So that's it for today. Well, I am so excited that we are going to have Catherine Johns on our show. Catherine, for those of you who have been in the Chicagoland area for a while, was a talk show host on WLS for many, many years. She knew Larry Lujak and some of the other DJs. She is a wonderful person and she's not doing talk shows anymore, but what she's helping people do is figure out how to have a better presence, how to talk about the work that we do in a way that is meaningful and impactful and that really communicates what we want people to understand about the work that we do. So we're going to have Catherine on to help us unpack that. I'm Dr. Margot Jaco, your mental health business mentor. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to today's show. Please join us again soon. Be well. 
You've been listening to the Mental Health Business Mentor Podcast with Dr. Margot Jaco. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe so you don't miss an upcoming episode and head on over to the mentalhealthbusinessmentor.com website for resources and additional information. Thanks so much for listening and be well.